as we open God's Word this morning. We just need to remind ourselves that this is God's breathed out Word to us and so we really need to push other things out of our minds and to devote our minds fully to what God is saying to us, to open our hearts so that He can bring the change. And so, with that, let's come to God's Word this morning and let's read from the book of Luke and we're going to continue our studies in Luke from Luke chapter 14 and this morning from verses 25 to 35. And so let's read that text together. And great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. What king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know if you, like me, but um, when you get a new gadget, you can't wait to start using it. You tear off the packaging, the directions fly in one way, the conditions of service fly the other way, and those little fine print things, I don't even look at them. Because I want to switch on. I want to be engaged. Yes, anyone else like that? No? Good. It's just me. Who reads the fine print? No one does. Well, there might be one or two of you. What does the fine print generally do in those contracts? They hide all the unpleasant bits I don't really want to know about. And that's why they put them in fine print, right? Because you might change your mind. Well, in a way, in our modern, in our modern instant age, we're a bit like that when it comes to Christianity. I've heard something exciting about Christianity, so I want to join. Where do I join? Where do I sign? When can I join this church? Well, Jesus spells things out a little differently for us. He says, you can come to me, but first you need to pay attention to some things. And he spells it out loud, clear and up front. There is no fine print when it comes to Jesus Christ. Where do we see that? Well, we see that as we look at this passage this morning with this large crowd that was following Jesus. 
Now, why was there a large crowd following Jesus? Well, he might perform some miracles again. He was on his way to Jerusalem, right? And they kind of knew by the general geographic direction he was heading in, there was only one road going there at that stage, that one main road anyway, to Jerusalem. And so they might have been thinking, is this the time when the Messiah is going to take Jerusalem by storm? Is he going to lead a revolt when he gets there? Is it all set up inside Jerusalem? And maybe we just had the rubberneckers there wanting to see what else was going to happen as Jesus goes in. Because generally where Jesus went, there was some action of some kind. And they wanted to be in on it. But Jesus was on his way to be crucified. And there's this massive crowd with him. They're volunteers. No one's being forced to be there with him. They want to be there. And then we have this little term, and you mustn't miss it in verse 24. Jesus turned to them. He suddenly, says the original, um, he suddenly turned to them. There's this whole crowd, they're walking around the dusty road, and suddenly Jesus turns. Now he did that deliberately. Why? Look at what he says. He turns to them and says, there's a cost to being my disciple. You guys are all crowding around me. You can't wait to see what next is going to happen. There is a cost to being a disciple. Now, our English reads, you cannot be my disciple. The original says, you are unable to be my disciple. There's a difference there. Even though you want to be, you are unable to be a disciple of mine if, and then the conditions follow. Now, let me please spell this out and listen to me. Grace is freely available to all. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard that last week. From the greatest to the smallest. From the most important to the least important. The ones in the hedgerows. From Gentile to Jew to Samaritan. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is available freely to all. But, there are conditions to be met to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, anyone can come to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you need to come on Jesus' terms. We got that? And he'll spell out those terms to us now. You need to come on Jesus' terms. You know, we should spell this message out more clearly when we do our big evangelistic crusades. We need to spell out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to do that more clearly. And in that way, we'll have far smaller churches, but the people attending will be much more devoted to Jesus Christ. You see, these days, it's so easy. We we, we spell out all the good news about coming to Jesus Christ, but we don't give these conditions that Jesus does. And so people swarm in. They, they think they've become Christians, but in the meantime, it's been an experience and no real conversion has happened in the heart because they haven't counted the cost. And that's why we have such a great falling away rate too after these big crusades. Because people haven't counted the cost. And the moment that a little bit of difficulty comes along, there they go. No, I'm no longer Christian. I've tried that. The fine print, I should have read it. I didn't. There it goes. And so Jesus spells out some of these conditions. There are three of them here this morning. The first one is this. You cannot be my disciple if you do not 
hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life. Now I bet you're sitting up. What? Hate my parents? Hate my mother, my wife, my children, my brothers, my sisters? My own life? What does Jesus mean here? See, by Jesus speaking about hating your family, he was cutting right to the heart of Jewish culture here because in the Jewish culture, your family is precious. They are everything to you as a family. So how can Jesus say this to me? It's been misused by modern cults. The Moonies, specifically, will try and turn people away from their families and get them to disown their families and only belong to the church and their leader. Now you think, the Moonies, oh, well, we won't hear about that. Send your daughters and your sons down to Wellington. There's a big group over there who actively go into universities and they especially go among the young girls. They attract them through beauty pageants and then they say to them, we'll look after you if you will come with us. And then they get them to swear allegiance to their leader who is somewhere in Vietnam somewhere. They even give them trips there. Now as a student to get a trip anywhere out the country is really good. And they tell them, turn your back on your family. Don't even speak to them. Cut off communication. In Wellington, my daughter was working with some girls like that. This is this misused. It doesn't mean a literal hate of your parents and your family. You see, why, why do we know that's not right? Because that would contradict what? So many things in Scripture. And Scripture can't contradict Scripture. One of the commandments um, in Scripture, Exodus 20 verse 12, says this, Honour your father and your mother. What does that mean? You need to love them and look after them, Right? Are you listening, kids? Reminder. We need to honour our father and mother. But here Jesus said, I must hate my father. No. Another command Jesus said was to love your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. So does that mean I need to love my enemies, but hate my parents and my family and my wife? No. Can't be that. That must be something else. You see, we need to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so we look elsewhere, Genesis chapter 29, verse 30 and 31. We read there that Jacob loved Rachel, but Leah, and if you've got an old Bible here, it will say Leah he hated. Newer Bible, Leah he hated less. I mean, he loved less, sorry. He loved less. So, what does this hate mean? It means to love less. To love less than. You see, Jesus is using the teaching technique here again, which is called an extreme. If you love me, you need to hate. In other words, in comparison to the love you have for me, the love you have for any of these others must be so much less. It must be less than. You see what he's saying? Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says this. Jesus' own words, it's a parallel passage to what we're doing now. He's just said it in other words there, and Matthew's recorded it. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Do you see what it's saying? Now, here's the crux. Are you listening? Hearing aids on 10. Are you listening? When there's a conflict of claims, obedience to Christ, 
comes first. I'll repeat that because it is crucial to us in our Christian lives. When there's a conflict of claims, obedience to Christ comes first. It doesn't matter who that claim is coming from. If it doesn't put Christ first, it comes second, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is crucial. One of our members here, and I'm not going to say who, you can make your own deductions, wanted to be baptised. Her parents were Hindus. They said, no, we forbid you to be baptised. But there comes a point where you say, Jesus Christ and obedience to him first, at all costs. And so she said to her parents, I love you dearly, but I must follow Christ. Do you see? Parents, I want to speak to you as Christians here. Sometimes your children will come to some convictions through Scripture that they need to do certain things for the Lord. Now, in your own life, you might not be there yet. And so what you do is you stop them and say, no, it's not necessary to obey in that regard. Don't do that. You are stunting their growth. You are causing them to disobey the Lord Jesus Christ. If they feel convicted by something in Scripture... Let them follow those convictions to the honour of Jesus Christ. Do not stand in their way. You are causing them to stumble. I can't be stronger than that. The Apostle Peter had the same attitude when him and the Apostles were in front of the religious council in Jerusalem. What were those famous words they said? We must obey God rather than men. And so we will go to prison. If you know anything about any of the Muslim countries, I was watching this Albanian video recently of these people who are converted in Albania. And when they come to the Lord, they know they are going to face persecution because their parents are still Muslims. And the moment they come and tell their parents, and they are encouraged to do so from the first, is to fly that flag, I have become a believer in Jesus Christ. When they do that, they know. If they're girls, they're going to get whipped. If they're men, they might get stoned. They know that the missionaries say to them, who is first in your life? Jesus Christ? Or will you already fear? Stand on Jesus Christ and trust Him. This is hard for us to hear with Western ears. But you know, those believers go, they tell their parents, and yes, they might get thrashed, and yes, some of them even get partly stoned and some killed. But you know, that thrashing will only come for a little while. The hatred from the families will only come for a little while. And then the missionaries tell these people, love your parents, love your family, show them Jesus Christ through the way you interact with them. And that will speak more strongly than anything else. And you know, in 10 out of 10 cases they've seen where someone hasn't been killed, those parents have swung around because they've seen the dramatic change through their children. And they have come to the Lord in return. They've seen it. What is the price for us here in precious little New Zealand where it's so easy? Jesus says, if you do not hate your father and mother, if you do not love them less than me, you are unable to be my disciple. In other words, do you love Christ the most above all others? The second requirement, Jesus says, is this. 
You cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your cross and come after me. You see, we do it the other way today. We say, Lord, I'll become a Christian. And while the excitement's there, that's grand. But after a while, Lord, I want to do what I want to do. Can you come after me, please, Lord? The Lord says, if you cannot take up your own cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be one. You see, the picture here is of a man carrying his cross to the place of execution. He has forfeited his own plans. He has lost control of his own life. There's no way he can just stop while he's carrying his cross down the road and say, hang on, hang on, put it down. I just want to go and do a few things, if you don't mind. Can we put this on pause? And I just want to go and speak to that person and that guy still owes me money. And No, no, no. He's forfeited control of his own life. He is on his way to die. Do you get the picture? Jesus says, pick up your cross and come after me. Where am I going? I am going to Jerusalem to die for your sins. I want you to follow me. And if you can't follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The Apostle Paul understood this, Galatians. This is what he said, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that is why I will follow him to death if I have to. He understood and he nearly died. Jesus says you need to come after me. You now need to become a Christ follower. I wish we could start using another word, not Christian. You know, um, I'll give you, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. When you come from Mars, right, you're called a Martian. If we understand it properly, then we'll use Christian properly. When you come from Christ, you become a Christian. We should start using the term, I, I'm a Christ follower. It, 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 will, it will really help us. It will really help the world. It will really help Muslims who've seen atrocities committed in the name of Christianity. And they say, I cannot be a, 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 a Christian because of what happened in the Crusades or what Christians did here or what Christians did there in history. We should be Christ followers. We should follow Jesus Christ. We should tell people, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Will you follow with me? That's clear. They can understand. That's what Jesus wants from us. To be Christ followers. You see this crowd thronging in around Jesus. They were just along for the ride and the excitement while Jesus was carrying his cross to be crucified. Do you get the picture? And Jesus turns on them and said, you come after me, but you don't know what it means. You need to be a follower of Jesus Christ if you want to be my disciple. What is the cross you might have to carry today? Well, you might have to be rejected by your own family. Yes, and some of you have been rejected by your families because you've become a believer. Jesus says, that's a cross I want you to carry for me. Or you might, teenagers and and young ones, you might lose popularity among your friends. Well, that might be the cross that you have to carry. Your friends might find other friends and leave you behind. That might be the cross Jesus wants you to carry for him. Are you willing to carry it? You might be, you might have to stop a sinful relationship. You know, it's so easy today. The world says, if you love each other, shack up, live together, and that's alright. Because you're doing alright. Well, the Bible says very differently. The Lord says, I want you to be married before me. 
I want you to come into a relationship before me. And then you can live together. Well, if you are thinking of going out with a guy and teenagers I'm speaking to you as well, or a girl, the Lord says, choose someone who is also a follower of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're unequally yoked. And if you carry on anyway, you are living in disobedience before me. Is that a cross you're willing to bear? And if you don't find someone for the rest of your life, is that a cross you're willing to bear for the Lord Jesus Christ? He's got other work for you. It doesn't have to remain a burden. You can find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ and in His service. He will show you how if you are a Christ follower. Or, or maybe, young, if you're going into a new career, maybe you have to be willing to do with a little less of an income because you're working for a Christian service of some kind. And yes, you could have got so much more out there in the world than in the open marketplace. But for the sake of being a Christ follower, you say, I will give up that to follow Jesus. He will reward me as he sees fit. Are you willing to do that? That could be a, cry, a cross. Jesus says he wants you to bear for him. You see, we think Christianity is so easy. We just float along in our Christian lives. And maybe if we are floating, we need to give the Lord thanks if all's going well. And you know everything is going well in your life. Praise the Lord. But maybe we need to be examining our lives. Because Jesus speaks about carrying a cross to follow him. Did he mean an exception in your case? Does that mean if, you're, if life isn't hard for you, you've got to make it hard? You've got to get a whip, whip yourself every morning, crawl upstairs, crawl all over the place? No, some people believe that though. We are meant to re-examine our lives. Am I obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ as a Christ follower in all areas of my life? Every single area. Are there some areas I'm deliberately overlooking because I know if I dig there, I'm going to find it? Do I see the discipline in my life that being a Christ follower asks? Or am I just cruising along, sometimes reading the Word if I've got time, sometimes teaching my kids about the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes gathering together in church if there's nothing else in the community that's on walks and rides and yeah, nothing on, let's go to church. You see, Jesus says, you've forfeited your own plans and control of your life. You are now a Christ follower if you want to be his disciple. You are at his command. There's a cross to be carried. And remember, we don't even have persecution here. Thirdly, he says, you cannot be my disciple if you do not give up all your own possessions. If you do not give up everything for me. All things. And the word therefore to give up is the word renounce. It's much stronger than just give up. It means, I push it away, I turn around and I don't want anything more to do with it. I renounce it. For the sake of Jesus Christ. Does that mean you must go and sell up everything now and become poor as a pauper? and be uh, other, having other people to look after you all the time? No. If Jesus Christ calls you to do that, then yes. If Jesus Christ calls you into his service, 
and no, you're not sure where your next salary is going to be, and he wants you to do something specific for him, then yes, it does mean that. If God says to you, who can I pick on? Ray. Jeremy. Peter. If God says to you, I need you in Albania where you may land on a Muslim hit list, where your family may be in danger, where you may have to live in a very small apartment with not many modcons, where you might not see your friends for the rest of your life, will you be able to give up your home? Will you be able to give up your job and income, your retirement plan, your securities, your comfortable life in New Zealand, Yes, even your parents, if you're looking after them, if Jesus asked you to. What would you not be able to give up for the sake of Jesus Christ? Do you see what he's saying? It's not easy. And so, there's the next thing to be done. There's a costing to be made as a disciple. Now, you'll see I've kind of mixed things around a little bit. I wanted these illustrations under this. There's a costing to be done. Yes, there's a cost to follow Jesus, but you've got to sit down and make the costing, the calculation. That's what I mean there. You've got to make a cal- calculation. Jesus uses this, but, uh, um, speaks about this by means of these two illustrations. Who of you would build a tower, he says, if you didn't first go and sit down and calculate whether you could finish building it? You see, those days they had vineyards and they had to erect these tall towers in the middle of the vineyard. And they did this so that at night they could go up there and sleep up there and still keep a good eye. All right. And the other thing they did was to get the, the, the produce and everything and store it up into this tower because the tower was really easy to defend from raiders. It was small. Jesus says, who of you would go and build a tower and not first go and do the costing? So they had to go and sit down and work out how much is this going to be to, uh, to build? How many rocks will I need? How much labor will I need? In other words, how much money have I got? Will I be able to finish this? Why? Because Jesus says the reason is, you go and half build it, and then it just lies there unfinished. What do the people do? They laugh at the builder. Look at this guy. He didn't go and do his plans properly. He didn't go and plan properly. And now, what has he got here? Useless rubble. And they laugh. The next thing he says is, when a king goes into battle, he would also do a calculation. Now, battles were a little different to building a tower. Building a tower, you could decide, I need to build a tower, I need a tower, right? There's no force. But when a king came against another king, he couldn't say, well, king coming against me. He had to do something about it, otherwise he got invaded. And so a king would go and sit down and think, how many soldiers he got? And he would send out spies and they'd come back, 20,000. Well, I've only got 10,000. That means I'm in trouble. One to two, right? And so what did this king do? He'd, when the other one was a long way away, he'd send out people to say, hey, we want peace. Please, we want peace. Can we come to terms? You see what he's saying? This is what he's saying. You need to act. You see, there's so many people today, and I'm speaking about people who are looking at Christianity, and they think, no, I can just remain neutral. No, actually you can't. There's a king coming against you. 
You need to act, otherwise you'll be destroyed. You need to allow this king to pay for your sin, otherwise you will stand for your own sin and you will be destroyed. You need to act. There's an action that has to happen. There's a costing that has to be done. You need to be reconciled with God. You need to make peace with God on His terms before it's too late. And all the previous passages have been leading to that, haven't they? And as believers, we can't just float around either. What happens to floating believers? They float backwards. Because life doesn't go towards Jesus Christ, does it? It floats away from Jesus Christ at a fast pace. And if you're going to float as a Christian, you will float away from Jesus Christ. You need to make the costing too in your life. And then thirdly here, Jesus uses this illustration of salt. And it's a powerful illustration because he's calling for total commitment here. Otherwise, there's a result that happens. This is it. Verse 34 and 35. He says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor fit for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, salt was a preservative. It added flavor to food, as it still does today. But the salt those days in Israel was a little different. We've got really nice white salt, or pink salt, if you're getting fancy now. All right? But those days, they had different salt. They used to collect it around the Dead Sea from rocks and from the, the, the surfaces, the, swamping, the swamp areas and the marshes and the lagoons around the Dead Sea. And if you know anything about the Dead Sea, it's salty. And so when the water's been evaporating and it's been doing that for quite a while, the salt deposits would be left there. But it wasn't pure. The weather had permeated in. Gypsum specifically had permeated into the salt. And after a while... When you were using it, it became stale and it got an alkaline taste and people hated it and they chucked it out on the roads and the donkeys and the passers-by would tread it into the, into the walkways. Jesus is saying, when a Christian's character, if a follower of Christ, if your character becomes diluted or permeated by the world, you become useless in my service. Are you listening? I know it's hot. I know you've been listening for a while. But hear this. This is the greatest danger on the church now. If your life becomes permeated or diluted by the world, you become useless for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you are no longer obedient to Him. You're not listening to His instructions anymore. You're living your own life. And when the world looks at you and I, what do they see? Your life's no different to mine. It looks just like mine, so why should I listen to you? And what happens? The glory of God is affected in the eyes of the world. Then don't listen. What's the first criticism the world has when they talk about Christians? They say, ah, look at all those hypocrites in the church. Now in some cases, it's true, sadly. Because we've become permeated by the world, you see? Alright, I'm going to cut to the chase this morning. So what? So what? Five things. I'll be short. I promise. But listen. First thing is this. Neutrality is not an option. If you're an unbeliever, you have to accept Jesus Christ and live as His disciple or you reject Jesus Christ 
and live as a disciple of Satan, but a disciple you will be. There is no option. It's Jesus Christ or a disciple of Satan. Which one are you? There is no middle ground. You are a disciple. Make your peace with Jesus Christ today. The gospel message coming to you again. He says, come to me and be saved. Secondly, as a believer here this morning, what stands between you and Jesus Christ? Now be honest. The Lord is here. He's not bothered by heat. The Holy Spirit is working here in your heart. What stands this morning between you and Jesus Christ? Is it others' opinions? Popularity? Your wants? What you're going to do with your time? Your positions? Your talents? You see, Christ wants all of these things at His disposal. Wholehearted devotion. A follower of Jesus Christ. All out loyalty. Complete self-denial. Count the cost. That little song we're going to sing right at the end, it says this, But we never can prove the delight of His love until all on the altar we lay. For the favour He shows and the joy He bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust the Lord. Obey Him. He will do the rest in your life. But count the cost. Third thing is this to you this morning. Are you along for the ride or carrying your cross? I've tried to put that as bluntly as I can. Are you along for the ride or carrying your cross? Are you wanting all the benefits of being a Christian? Yes, I want everlasting life. Yes, I want my sins forgiven. Yes, I want hope for the future. But without the obedience that is called for by Jesus. You see, Jesus died for you on the cross. And He died on that cross you were supposed to die on. He died in your place. In your place condemned. He stood. Are you willing to now follow Him daily in love for Him? Obeying His commands as He has, and He has promised that it will be a battle? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do battle for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because there's a cross you've got to bear, the cross of self-denial, the cross of indwelling sin that you have to fight every single day, the cross of rejection by the world. But, here's the promise, His grace is available to you 24-7, any time you need it. Are you willing to be a Christ? Paul said it this way, My grace is sufficient for you. This was the promise to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Fourthly, direct challenge to you this morning. Have you become unsalty as you sit here? Have you become unsalty salt? You know the truth, but you've become hardened to it. You've been sitting in sermon after sermon. You've been hearing these things. But nothing has become obedience in your life. You've hardened yourself to the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. There is no repentance in you. And you know that if you'd only repent, it would lead to forgiveness. But you hold on to your sins and it leads to a loss of fruitfulness and a loss of usefulness to the Lord. 
Well, how can we encourage you this morning? How can we encourage each other in this walk this morning? As new members here, how can we encourage them in their walk this morning? From Hebrews, and we've been studying this as home group, two home groups have been studying this. Look at these beautiful words from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. How can we encourage each other? This is how. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Isn't that what we're talking about? Unsalty salt. But here, here's how we can do it. Exhort one another daily while it's still called today, while you can still do something about it, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We must encourage each other in our walks. So get around each other. When we get through here in a few minutes and we have a cup of tea, get around each other. Encourage each other in your walks in the Lord. Because there could be some among us here, and there will be, who are struggling in their faith, who don't know if they want to carry on in their faith anymore. Get around them. Encourage each other in the Lord. And remind them, His grace is available to them. And then lastly, the world is watching us. The world is watching. What does your life say about His grace in the eyes of those who watch you every day? Are your attitudes different to those in the world around you? Are your desires different to those of the world when they look at your life? Are your ambitions that you go for in life, are they different to those of the people around you in life? Do they see in you an ill-disciplined life? One that is just floating. Because they're learning from you what Christians look like. The world is watching. Have you just got a slapdash attitude towards living life set apart for Jesus Christ? Do you make, you, you don't live a life set apart for Jesus Christ. You just kind of do whatever comes. And that's what the world's doing, you see. And they watch us. And do they give Christ glory? No. Because our lives are no different. You see, there's a second aspect here. When you haven't counted the cost, when the unbelieving world around us see Christians drifting away, they see Christians who say, no, I'm no longer a Christian. I used to go to church. No, I'm a Christian on my own. I don't need to get together with other believers. What do they say? Not even the Christians can work together. Why should I listen to this Jesus? The world is watching. And the question I want to ask you is this. Do you love Jesus Christ that little? In other words, do you hate Jesus Christ? And that's blood. Do you hate it? Do you love other things more than Him? You see, there's no fine print in the kingdom of God at all. It's all written in bold for us. And so I want to urge you this morning, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Give Him your everything, whatever He demands. And this is how you do it. And with this verse I close. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Here it is. Make this the mission statement of your life. Make this the plan of action of your life as your hands get to work this out. Make this the picture that others see of your life. Let's say it together, please. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus 
the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of Christ Jesus. I have made that the mission statement of my life. Let us stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be Christ followers in taking the gospel out of the world so that the world may see that Jesus lives. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we need to be reminded of this because we live in a world which is so attractive to us. And so often we look at the world and we say, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. And before we know it, the world has come into us. Those attitudes have permeated into our souls. And our eyes are no longer on Jesus Christ. But Lord, they are on other things, other people, other attractions. Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. May we give ourselves completely 100% to you. Use us, Lord. And I pray for those who have started drifting away from you, Lord. Those who have become leached with the world. Those who have not fully committed themselves to you. May they count the cost of following Jesus Christ. May they think of the implications of not following Jesus Christ. May they think of what the world sees when they disobey Jesus Christ. And may they turn to you in full commitment this morning, I pray, with the power that the Holy Spirit gives. Amen.